Well, today on Rebuilders, we have a special episode. What are we going to be doing today? We're going to be hearing about the incredible story of what I think is a modern renewal, a revival amongst uh, Persian people uh, uh, and the story of the church in Iran. So we're going to be talking to David Yeganatsa, um, who's part of Elam Ministries, who is part of uh, strengthening the Persian-speaking church in the world, but also just what can we learn as, as I guess, the Western church or the developed world church from uh, what has happened with the Persian church. Great. Looking forward to sharing it with you. Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel and it's good to be back. How it's are good you to guys? have you back. Well, yeah. Very good. Uh, we shared, I think, last time that mm-hmm. you'd been um, uh, on your break. We mm. didn't want to reveal your location. Um, I think we just said the Northern Hemisphere because we didn't want you mobbed by yeah. um, pastry-crazed you know, fans of um, uh, Rebuilders. But how, you- how, was, yeah, how was your trip? Yeah, yeah. Had a great trip. Um, yeah. I was just my own pastry crazed person in Paris. Great. And ate some very good pastries. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and also spent some time in London and Scotland, uh, spent some time in Belfast. Yeah. Um, hello to some new friends that I uh, met there. Belfast did- and Ireland in general as well. Yeah. Did you meet some listeners? I did meet some listeners. Ah, were they... Stoked <laughs> to meet you. Yeah, I think great. so. Yeah, great. it yeah. was great to meet them. Yeah. How is Emmanuel Macron? <laughs> <laughs> um, quick question. What, apart from croissants, what other French or Parisian pastries exist? Escargot? Yeah, there are escargot. Oh, we didn't have any escargot when we were there. Isn't that snails? Yeah. Well, there's one that's like... There's a pastry. Oh, the that's pastry. Called yeah, yeah. It's got little well. sultanas yeah. or something. In yes. It? Yeah. 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 Okay. I had this excellent one um, from this place that was like a choc banana pastry. Mm. Oh, it was very delicious. Mm. But you can't really go past a plain croissant with butter and jam. Mm. Yeah, yeah. True. Is it different? Like the croissants taste different from France or France? Uh, different to. What I've experienced before. An Aussie Aussie croissant. (laughs) Did did your croissant in France taste good? Um, Yeah, it did taste good and I wouldn't say so, no, but they were just just very good. Cool. So we don't need to go. Yeah. Um, Well, you've just just vicariously lived through the experience. Yeah. Uh, Well, in terms of like I don't need to go to there for a pastry or for a croissant. I can just enjoy them. Here in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I went all the way over there <laughs> to confirm to you yeah, yeah. that you don't need to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We should do that one one time. Do a tour. Rebuilders tour. Just, just pastries. <laughs> pastries of the world. Pastries of the world. <laughs> yep. Copenhagen. Yeah. Yeah. Germ- Vienna. Germany. Yeah. Do, get a Bienenstich. Myanmar. <laughs> I don't know why I just said Myanmar. I don't know if yeah. they have Actually, I remember at going all. to when I was in Vietnam. Like oh. a lot of, oh, of course, yeah, like because of yeah French the, colonization. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of pastry, or like like banh mi. The yes, yes, that's yes, a, the yeah, baguettes, yeah, the baguettes thing. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Just experiencing that cuisine in the other part of the world. What mm. a wonderful melange the world is oh. of food and yeah, 
Tastes and experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of such things, uh, today we are interviewing, well, uh, Mark's going to be interviewing David Yoganatsa from Elam Ministries. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be a real privilege to chat with him. Yeah, we got a chance to be entreated to, to spend some time with uh, David and some of his team and, and hear some of the stories. You know, we've mentioned actually the church in Iran and the Persian-speaking church a number of times, uh, I think on Rebuilders, and I wrote about it in my book. So it's going to mm. be really good just to hear, I think, firsthand some of those stories. I think people are going to find it really encouraging and challenging and uh, yeah, really excited to dig in to that uh, chat. Great. Well, without further ado, and in my head, I just told myself, don't say without further ado, and I did. So without further ado, we're going to get into it. Well, David, it's wonderful to have you uh, with us on Rebuilders and to uh, be chatting to you today. It's so good to be with you guys. I've, uh, in, I always enjoy listening to you and it's a privilege to, to join the conversation for today. So thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Um, really what we, we have mentioned on the podcast you know, before and I've written about, I guess, the, the really inspiring story of you know, the move of God amongst um, the church in Iran and Persian-speaking people. Um, and really, a lot of that story you can trace back to a crisis, <laughs> a crisis that grips uh, Iran in 1979 with the Iranian Revolution and the return of Ayatollah Khomeini back to, to Iran. Um, yeah, do you, for those who don't know that history, um, if you could share what that history meant, I guess, for Iran, but also what it meant for the church. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, it's um, an incredible story. It's, I've had the privilege of, of seeing that story unfold in my lifetime. I was born in 1974, um, and um, my dad's Iranian, my mother's British. My, my grandfather had come to Christ in Iran in the 1930s, and uh, then in the 1950s, he, he um, started a prayer meeting in his home, um, and uh, he'd really encountered the Lord. He had... Um, you know, just fallen in love with Jesus. He was, I've never met anyone who's uh, as in love with Jesus as my grandfather was. Um, and they started a prayer meeting in their home they, in the 1950s. They met every day without fail for over four years, praying in their wow. home. And then they opened it up as a uh, their home, just basically for people to come and pray, to hear the gospel. And then they'd go out in, in the streets and then share the gospel. Um, and that, so there were four years of constant prayer, which eventually it turned into a church and, um, different ministries, different people came to Christ in those meetings and they went on to different things. But, um, <clears throat> what's interesting is that for years, though they had that prayer and it was, that was the fifties, they didn't see massive growth. Um, mm. and, um, there had been some missionaries, the first missionary had come to, um, uh, Iran in well modern was the eighteen twelve Henry Martin came translated the Bible into into Persian then the eight, late eighteen hundreds guy called Robert Bruce I believe went from Scotland to Iran then you had the Anglicans you had the uh, Presbyterians uh, came uh, in the early nineteen hundreds um, the Assemblies of God came in the nineteen sixties and missions like O M <coughs> excuse me. Uh, were there, and there's quite a lot of work going on, but very few people came to Christ. So mm. um, by 1979, there were about 500 Christians from a Muslim background after all those years of uh, mm. mission and work and prayer, four years. Can you imagine praying for mm. four years? You expect a revival mm. to turn up. 
Um, and I'm sure God did hear those prayers and it was part of the process. But by 1979, only about 500 Christians from a Muslim background. So Khomeini comes back uh, with a mm. you know, hardline regime and all the missionaries are kicked out. Everything's gone. Literally everybody's mm. kicked out of the country. Um, mm. And so people think that that small church is just going to wither away and die. Um, mm. And then the persecution increases. At that time, uh, a few pastors were killed and Obviously, then pastors are spied on. Um, evangelism eventually is banned. Uh, churches are very limited um, and um, mm. restricted. In 1990, the Bible Society was closed down. So multiple crises, really, for the church. Mm. Um, and so, you know, people waiting for that to happen, uh, for the church just to wither away mm. and die. But somehow the opposite happened. And Iranians became the most open Muslim people to the gospel. They, mm. There was hunger. There was um, yeah, just a deep hunger for it that began to grow. Um, and then um, the, the, the courage of the church. So you had these two things com, com, come together. One was um, the reality that um, the Iranians faced. They began to see the true face of their religion their government, mm. their system, they began to see uh, there just was a new hunger that wasn't there before 1979. So the crisis mm. wasn't just a crisis for the church. It was actually a crisis for mm. the people. And mm. there, and I think that's something very important for us to remember. We think the church is just going through a crisis in the West. The whole world is going through a crisis. So everybody's facing yes. some kind of crisis. And so for the for Iran, that the crisis was for the people saying, oh, what is true? What's reality? Where do I find hope mm. and then on the other hand you had the the church even though it was tiny um and you've used the word remnant many times i know in your podcast mm. but they there was this remnant of people who believed in jesus who loved jesus and mm. thought okay we're gonna go for it you know and mm. they with conviction did what they could they preached the gospel they shared their faith and um mm. so remarkably uh, this tiny withering uh, small church began to flourish and uh mm. today um many people say it's one of the fastest growing possibly the fastest growing church in the world <clears throat> whatever the story is i can tell you that every single day all across iran people are coming to christ um mm. just in remarkable ways beautiful testimonies as people share their faith they come across the gospel online or on tv uh, they find Bibles, um, divine appointments, uh, dreams and visions. These types of things are happening, and it really is a remarkable story. Mm. And that story is not just happening in Iran, too. Obviously, there's an Iranian diaspora which has gone out into the world. Um, yeah, how, how has that also happened outside of Iran? Yeah, it's definitely happening outside uh, in countries like Turkey, where there are hundreds of thousands of Iranians have gone uh, to Turkey over the years um, in order to escape to the West. Um, many, many thousands and thousands of Iranians there have come to faith. Um, but then across Europe, um, in the States, many Iranians have come to Christ. But really, wherever Iranians have gone and wherever um, the church has been willing to share the gospel, the Iranians have come mm. to, to know the Lord. And uh, when they do, they really do fall in love with Jesus. So, um, and and mm. they want to tell the story to others. Um, and so, mm. 
the Iranians are great evangelists. I would, I would, I mean, I've traveled a fair amount and I would say that Iranians are really uh, the best evangelists that I've ever, that I've mm-hmm. ever come across in my life. They just love talking about Jesus and uh, mm. they know they found the truth and they want to share, share him with others. So, mm. Mm. It's interesting too, like in, in a sense, what's happened to the church in Iran and to Iran is really what many people fear <laughs> at this point in time, what happened to their country. Yeah, I feel like a loss of country, yeah. a loss of culture, a loss of any um, social standing or government respect. Um, you know, what, right. what, what, how, does, how do we sort of get from 500 to, to what we see now, um, you know, all across the world and, and in Iran? How does that process happen? Um, slowly in one sense, but then mm. suddenly picks up, uh, the, the early years I remember, uh, so my grandfather, I talked to my, my grandfather, my father, uh, ended up in, in ministry as well. He was with the Bible societies in, uh, 1970s and early eighties. But then as the revolution went by, um, uh, after the revolution, as the years went by, uh, they began, he and his friends uh, from Iran began to see this new openness. Um, just mm. just sort of first fruits, first shoots, tiny shoots coming through the dry ground. And they thought, okay, we need to do something here. Um, <clears throat> I remember in those days, if one Iranian came to Christ, you know, it was a big celebration, you know. One mm. other Iranian's come to Christ, you know, they'd send a fax to each other saying, so and so. <laughs> Here's a fax coming through. One person has come through. Some some of the listeners that know what a fax is can look it up <laughs> online. But um, but um, they thought, okay, well, what can we do? And so I remember from 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 ministry I served with the Zilam. They they started in our home. I thought, okay, we'll we'll train a few leaders to uh, take the gospel, and started with six. Uh, people came from Iran and uh, studied in our home. Basically, I lost my bedroom for six months, um, and so I, when I say slowly, and it starts with small things, um, and and then the rest is God's faithfulness. But but basically, what's happened is we've been able to train leaders um, and give them the vision um, to uh, share the gospel. Then there's also been a huge emphasis on. Um, evangelism um, mm. right throughout the church. And we'll talk about some of these things later, I think, but mm. um, it happens as um, the church um, engages in what they can, what it can. Of course, mm. uh, we've done a lot of Bible distribution. So scriptures mm. have played a huge part. Um, so I'd say the church has grown through courageous leaders who've been trained mm. and sent out. It's grown through the distribution of the word of God. It's grown mm. through um, um, broadcasting the, the gospel on TV, the internet. Um, and then it's, it's happened word of mouth uh, mm. organically as, as Christians have shared the, their faith with others. And I think a key thing here for the Muslim world is traditionally in the Muslim world, traditionally historically in the Muslim world, when one person would come to faith, they were cut off from their family, from their mm. community. And that has that really has changed in Iran over the years, increasingly so. But even earlier on, because people were so disillusioned with Islam, mm. um, 
when one of their members, uh, one of their family members came to Christ um, and told them about it, um, it was, they weren't cut off, you know, sometimes they weren't cut off, but, you know, it's just the, the trend has gone away from that. And so now, um, and it's been many years now that when one person comes to faith, we expect other members of their family to come to faith. And so mm -hmm. it's grown through families, it's grown through uh, networks. Um, and then, of course, the other key thing has been refugees coming to faith outside the country, sharing the yes. gospel with their friends and family. So one of the th things we do is just encourage that wherever Iranians are in the world, if they've come to faith, mm -hmm. you know, I believe they can start a small group back in Iran. You know, that's a very mm -hmm. uh, possible thing because they can just call their friends, their relatives, tell mm. them the gospel and help them find Jesus. Mm. Now, one of the reasons we're really keen to have you on Rebuilders is I guess the, in many ways, Rebuilders listeners have been on a journey. And um, I think all of us are trying to, you know, ask how does the church be renewed in the next season? And, um, mm. you know, you've um, gone ahead and uh, we've had some conversation you know, chat before this um, and in some ways you've thought of a, a number of key points that you think that I guess the Western church or the church in the developed world can learn from the Iranian church. So we're really excited to hear some of these because I think they're just going to be incredibly valuable for our, our listeners. Um, so we'd love for you to dive right in. Yeah, What, what do you think is the first uh, thing that we can learn from the Iranian church? Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the, the key things that uh, I think is one thing that I think is so important for us to grasp is that uh, the crisis in Iran, the persecution in Iran, really meant that discipleship emphasized the lordship of Christ right from the beginning. Um, and um, that's just so important because, you know, if we want to re rebuild anything, you know, Christ has to be the center. Christ has to be Lord um, if we want to build anything. Um and so when, when you live through that kind of situation in Iran where, um, like I said, pastors were killed, um, uh, people that I personally know uh, were martyred, uh, personal friends of mine have been imprisoned. Um, I remember getting a voicemail from one of my dear friends, Farshid Fatih, and any, any of the listeners can go and search him online and hear, read his story. Um, but I, I, I missed the phone call. It was actually Christmas Day, the day after Christmas Day. It was Boxing Day. Uh, for those who are listening who know what Boxing Day is, but um, uh, he um, left a voicemail saying um, that actually that, that day 60 Iranian Christians had been uh, arrested. He was leading a church. He'd, he'd started a, a movement with two families, ended up with uh, 50, 60 house churches, um, and um, then he was arrested with 60 of the leaders that he'd built um, and he left this amazing voicemail that uh, saying David we've been arrested or we're being arrested um, going to prison uh, please pray you know and you get those mm -hmm. types of messages and people like them are known in the church so it's not really a class. It's not, a, it's not even a preaching series on the Lordship of Christ. It's demonstrated mm. to you as a believer mm. that Christ is Lord. He's Lord of my life. Um, and as a follower of Jesus, um, he is Lord and to the point that I'm, I'm going to be willing to 
um, suffer for him. Um, mm. And so I think that really is a key thing for us to 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 take away a lesson from the Iranian church. Mm. And it's not just the Iranian church, it's, it's any church that's gone through persecution. Um, yes. But for discipleship, you know, the crisis means that uh, the lordship of Christ has to be emphasized. Is he really mm. Lord of my life? Um, mm. And I think that's the that's the, the heart of being able to build something. Mm. Oh, that's I mean, and that's so challenging to a Western world built on individualism and autonomy of self. And um, but I think mm. yeah, that's just an so right, absolute key to discipleship, which is often forgotten for us. Um, what would be your second point for us to learn from? So the second thing I uh, thought about was, um, you know, the, the way that the persecution happened um, and the way that the crisis that the church faced, which meant that it basically couldn't meet together, meant that mission had to be done from the margins. Uh, mission mm. had to be done from the margins, which really is how the church has always flourished, um, mm. where um, everybody was valued everybody had a part to play um and and really i would say uh one of the most exciting ways that the church has grown is through women who really are on the margins of society in iran who are uh, legally devalued who are oppressed and people who you really think uh you know in iranian society they're they're told they don't have much of a role um, so it's it's been absolutely uh, amazing. It's been thrilling to see how God has used people who nobody would have expected to be mm. absolutely key in um, you know for the church to grow, leading uh, dozens of people to Christ. And you think this person, how in the world did that one person lead that many people <laughs> to Christ? Um, mm. And I just think Jesus smiles, the Lord smiles, the Spirit breathes on that kind of. Uh, mission. So, yeah, I think, mm. um, you know, related to that um, is the maybe another point, but it's, it's, a, it's mm. very closely related is that, you know, the churches could not re rely on their programs. I think you talked in one of the podcasts about mm. a discipleship capacity versus program capacity mm. or something like that. You know, the churches could mm. not rely on their programs. Um, they had to uh, empower their people to to work there was no other option you know it's not because the iranian church is brilliant compared to others this is the circumstances the crisis as you put it forced them into mm. these situations so um leaders were not you know wherever the church is going it's not because leaders are focused on their own particular gifts and, and ministries um for themselves mm. it's really empowering people in their churches um so Really, what's how you see that is the focus is on this. You know, in many of the house churches, it would be okay, they have a pile of New Testaments, um, and at the end of the service, they all take a pile of New Testaments to go and and and, and share during the week. Maybe seven, they take one a day. And the goal for a house church member was give one New Testament out, share the gospel with one person a day. Well, that's how the, the local leader knows he can reach more, but he can't do that himself. Um, which mm. is obvious and it's so clear, but in that kind of situation, it just becomes the way that you can do it. Instead of saying, hey, bring mm. your friends to hear me. It's, it, mm. you, you can't bring your friends to hear me. So take mm. this message out to where you're going. Um, and somehow 
surprisingly that works better. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. And so, yeah, mission, the second and third one mission had to be done from the margins. Um, mm. And, um, you know, so we've seen, um, you know, people really on the fringes of society have great mm. impact. Um, and um, I could I could tell one or two stories, Mark, but um, mm. they, they usually take quite a bit of time. But um, um, and then the capacity one, mm. the program capacity. It's it's almost as you're talking it 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 made me think that almost discipleship is the program. <laughs> it's right. It's like Absolutely. what you're saying is like yeah, you don't need a program to discipleship. You just need to do discipleship and and also yeah. too it cuts across um, again too almost there's almost a thing in the West that you know it, you can have an influence if you get some kind of platform if you get some kind of social you know reach you know and that can be some position of reach in the broader society or within the church. But really what you're saying is it's, it's almost impossible to have a celebrity, you know, a Christian with this big platform who can, you know, reach all these people, people come and listen to because probably that person's a, a target for the security services or um, they're just unable to do it that way. But, yeah, it's so it's it's so weird because it's so countercultural to what the church in the West often does but also just so obviously New Testament as <laughs> as you share. It's like, oh, of course, Um yeah. Yeah. What else? Um, so, I, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. What well, I would say to that, Mark, is um, it is discipleship is part of the, it is the process. I mean, that's right. There is no program for discipleship apart from, let's just do it, like you say. Uh, mm. Here's an interesting story. Um, just, this mm. is just from a few months ago. A lady um, calls that we, there's some, people outside the country who, who've received calls from people who are interested in the gospel. So this lady who's in a, in a third country uh, receives a call from a lady in Iran saying, I found a new Testament. Um, your number was here. Please can you guide me and whatever. So eventually she leads her to Christ and then she actually starts to disciple her. Um, and then a few weeks later, this lady says, do you, do you want to know how I found the new Testament? And she says, Sure. And so um, she says, I'm a handbag thief. I'm a single mother, three kids, wow. no one to provide. I steal. I've been stealing six or seven handbags a day. I stole one handbag. There was no money, but there was this New Testament. So I started to read it. Wow. And uh, she says, uh, you know, so she's being disciple. She said, you know, I've only stolen one handbag since I came to Christ. <laughs> so that's progress. <laughs> but uh, yes. So here's the, what's interesting. Our immediate thought here is that that moment, that woman could be a church planter. Hmm. And so the excitement of the church and the person discipling this person isn't, oh, okay, she's a handbag thief and hopefully she'll be mm. a good person and would teach her to, to do the right things. It's, Jesus has rescued this woman if we help her to be an evangelist, if we help her to follow Jesus as his disciple, she can reach mm. people nobody else can reach. So that's yeah. the mentality yeah. that that people have. And that's that's the mission from the margins. She is a, is a woman mm. on the margins. But mm. the, the thought has to be she is is oh, we've got another one to our you know to, to attend our meetings. That's not what the church should mm. be interested in. 
It's, mm. oh, Jesus has rescued this woman. He's got a plan for her. He can use her uh, in ways that nobody else, you know, that, in places or to people nobody else can reach. So the way that we work with her, the way we disciple her, the way that we motivate her. So evangelism comes earlier. The fourth one was evangelism comes earlier in the process of discipleship because you believe that they have a role to play. So yes. you don't say, oh, well, let's see how she does for a year and then say if she's a good Christian and she stops stealing handbags, then um, mm. maybe God can use her. We say, hey, Jesus has rescued you. Go and tell people mm. right away. And uh, so that's how the church grows. So so, so, what, so was she being discipled by someone in another country on the phone? She was that... being discipled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I found so when the pandemic happened, um, you know, I remember, you know, so many people were lamenting they were unable to meet and, and pastors felt like they'd lost their, you know, ability to lead and direct and, and you know, I guess control the environment. Um, but I remember thinking of the Iranian church and that how the Iranian church had to um, activate, you know, had to, had to operate. Um, so in a sense, yeah, it's a, it's a very different attitude to seeing these tools of technology. It, it's it's not even seeing them as a, a limitation as much as it is because it's interesting. One of the things that also happened when people went online during the pandemic, there was a sense, oh, this is going to be entertainment for people. They can just pick what church to watch. But it's almost the same tools, but it's being used in a very different way. It's a real discipleship emphasis um, combined with right. the technology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, you're, you're right. I think the... The difference that I've seen over the last, um, or since the pandemic started, the use of technology in the Iranian church and uh, other parts of the world is technology has used been used in a much more sort of significant way for discipleship um, mm. in the Iranian context than in the West. In the West, it's been mainly for broadcasting, and and we do some mm. broadcasting as well, but. Um, uh, and I think it's this difference in mentality that, um, okay, it, it's, you know, program capacity. We've got a program, we need to broadcast it. Um, mm. But in the Iranian church, possibly it's more, um, we've got people that need to be discipled. How do we disciple them using them using technology? And, and so you, you've got mm. a slightly different use and emphasis there. I think an, another thing, that, you know, that um, another lesson that we could learn um from the Iranian church. And again, it's, it's really from a church that's in crisis is that in, in crisis, and this is not just unique to, to Iran or the church or even Christianity in, in general, it's crisis um, forces you to be innovative um, in the way that you use, um, uh, you know, to, to create new opportunities. So the church in Iran has used technology with it, with the goal in mind, with the goal of discipleship in mind Um and um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly possible to use technology um, in in really creative and useful ways. I actually discipled somebody in Iran myself uh, during the pandemic, and it was that year was the most thrilling thing that uh, I did. It was just wonderful to see this new believer that I was connected with um, and take him through a journey. And I can tell you about the discipleship process that we use, um, which mm -hmm. has been. Um, really, really effective, but it was just beautiful to see how he, you know, from day one, just all online, um, 
you know, the first day he doesn't even, he just received his first Bible. And, you know, he's, I'm saying turn to John chapter, whatever. And he's looking at the index page. You can, he, he's on oh, page 1000, whatever. And by the end of the process, he was asking me questions about Job and uh, Isaiah and <laughs> all kinds of things. And it was just brilliant to see his mm-hmm. growth. And he had shared the gospel, this new believer had shared the gospel with about a hundred people. I think about twelve wow. people had come to faith, and this was all in a period of four or five months, uh, because there was wow. an intentional discipleship. And right from the beginning, evangelism comes early in the discipleship process, and say, "Hey, you can share the gospel with others." And he's like, "Me? Yeah, just go and tell them I've met Jesus," and he did, mm. and and people came to faith. So. Mm. Oh, that's that's incredible. It's almost, I suppose, if you've got a discipleship focus as a church, um, you're going to replicate that whether you're online or in person. And if you've got a program right. event-based mentality, you're going to replicate that in line or in person. Um, yeah. 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 Do you have anything else for us um, uh, of those uh, points? Yeah, I think the the last point that um, – I mean, they're all related one way or the other, but um, – as we have as we have seen um, the church grow, I think one of the things that we realized that the crisis forced us was to say, how are you going to do this discipleship? A pastor can't do all the discipleship. Um, how do you mobilize the whole church for to do discipleship? How do you mobilize every believer? Mm-hmm. So when you come to the, the conviction that um, actually it's the mission of the church is to make disciples, mm-hmm. And that mm. every believer is called to be a disciple maker, not just the pastor. Mm. So I think one of the journeys that we've been through is how do you actually mobilize the whole church? And that's been the goal. Um, mm. And so, again, the crisis sort of makes you, forces you to think through things. So we developed a, a discipleship process, which we call Safar, which means journey in Persian. And it's really mm. was designed to make it uh, clear for how for one believer to know how to disciple another believer um Mm. and so the goal has been to not just say you're an evangelist uh but to say that you you're a disciple maker as well so if we really Mm. want to build something for the future we want to build disciples who make Mm. disciples um it's not revolutionary thinking but Mm. actually how to do it is not easy and and you've talked about discipleship capacity um Mm. And I think this is certainly um, w- one of the areas that we were still spending a lot of time thinking about developing, not just this one program, Safar, uh, but um, the whole idea of how do, how do you really help people not be consumers, but uh, play their part um, and everybody gets to play. So um, I think for us, uh, and for the church in Iran, a key thing, not just, and, and I really, I don't want any listeners to be thinking, oh, the church in Iran has got it. Uh, these are some lessons that we can learn, but uh, the, mm. the church in Iran still has a lot to learn. And really ask people to pray for us as we mm. as we focus on this whole idea. We really, my, my passion uh, for, for our ministry and for the church in Iran as a whole is how do we really help build that uh, um discipleship culture where every believer mm. they're an evangelist they're a disciple maker 
but that, not only that, they, we, we're all disciples, right, of Jesus right to the end of our lives. Mm. But as we do that, mm. we just help others follow him. Um, so mm. we've used this tool called Safar, um, mm. and it's a simple 30-step journey where one mm. which guides two people, one-to-one discipleship, so um, mm. people can um, – follow a process of helping somebody else learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to put mm. into practice what he says by doing, you're talking about not just the program, but actually doing. So you actually go and do evangelism. You actually go and serve. You actually go and do these things together. Mm. Um, and it's been, it's been wonderful to see thousands and thousands of people uh, engage in one-to-one discipleship. Um, mm. And and so that's something that I think could help uh, people think, you know, as you're thinking about your, your mm-hmm. context, how do you actually mobilize your whole church to be disciple makers, not just the, the few, mm-hmm. uh, but the whole church to be disciple makers. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And then also please pray for us in the process because we really need mm-hmm. the grace and favor of God um, because mm-hmm. there has been a lot of church growth, but there's still a lot to, to go. There may be, some people say a million or so Christians in Iran, but there's 80, 85 million people in the country. It's a long way to go um, mm. and uh, a lot of growing for the church to do. Mm. I guess as we, we finish our time, Iran is often in the news in negative lights. <laughs> you know, even just look at the news today right. and, and, you know, um, and even there's a number of people come from Persian um, ethnic groups in places like Afghanistan, which is also in the news for for negative reasons often. But hearing these stories is a different story. They're good news stories of, of what God is doing. Um, so uh, alongside praying, how, how can those who are listening, who have been moved by what we've heard today, how can they support what you're doing through Ilam Ministries? How can they support the, the church amongst uh, the Persian people in the world? Thank you so much. Yeah, please do pray. I mean, you can check us out on uh, elam.com, E-L-A-M.com. Um, if you have Persian uh, speaking friends that you want to um, introduce to Christian material, Christian uh, uh, content, there's kalame.com, uh, which is our Persian Christian website, which basically means the word.com. Kalame is K A L A M E H.com. So, you know, just send a link to that to any Iranian friends mm-hmm. that you have. Um, you know, there's uh, what, one of the key things we do is send Bibles into the country, so uh, and scriptures and make those available. So people, if they if they wanted to support something, that would probably be an easy one for them to to look into. You can check that out on on the website. Um, but um, you know, if you really want to to learn more, we have a we have, another thing is that we have a, a prayer guide called Iran Thirty. Uh, mm. You can get that online or just uh, we send one to you. Um, it's a very simple prayer guide for Iran. If you read and pray through that, you'll you'll pray effectively and you'll also learn a lot. Um, and um, But the other thing is I'd encourage you to check out the, that discipleship uh, process if you want. It's actually available in English as well. Mm. Um, mm. So you just go to the website click start here and and it's uh, you can start so it's safar.org s-a-f-a-r.org um mm. but yeah we really would value prayer um people standing with us with the uh in whatever way god calls them to mm. well we'll 
we'll put those resources and and URLs in our subscriber email chats. Um, so uh, if people want to join our subscriber email chats, what do they do, Daniel? They can go to rebuilders.co and subscribe there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <coughs> yeah, we'll put that uh, information. Uh, am, I, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to um, promote another podcast? Of course. Depends which one yeah. it is. No, so of course have, you can. Yeah, of course yeah, you yeah, can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, our podcast is called Jesus Speaks Farsi. Um, uh, and uh, there's just, if, you, if you're interested in the stories, anybody wants to hear more of the stories, then um, brilliant. I mean, like Farshid, who I mentioned was in prison. He's one of the, it was the first couple of uh, interviews with him, uh, and they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, I knew the story myself, and I, I was riveted. Um, so... Yeah, they're really, really excellent podcasts that uh, our team puts mm. together. So uh, people can mm. look that up. Jesus Speaks Farsi on any on any podcast platform. Mm. We'll definitely we'll definitely put that also in the in the notes. Thank you so much, David. It's been so inspiring and wise. And um, you know, I just know that our Rebuilders audience um, is just going to really be encouraged by this. And I hope it encourages them, but also hope it encourages them to uh, pray for the church in, in Iran, in the Persian-speaking world. And um, yeah, we just want to cheer you on with with what you're doing. It's quite an incredible uh, uh, ministry. You know that when every time I've interacted with you and hear the stories, I come away so encouraged. Um, so yeah, thank you for all you're doing and your team's doing. And thank you for what you're, you're doing. We love the podcast um, and uh, we're certainly uh, learning from you guys as well. And and just one last word to, to listeners, go for it. Don't be, uh, yeah, believe believe what this podcast is telling you that uh, uh, there's, uh, God's going to do something great. Uh, crisis, mm-hmm. I believe your, your phrase there, that crisis precedes renewal. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen it. We've seen it happen in Iran, and I believe we'll see it in many other parts of the world. So go for it. Oh, man. Great way to end. Thank you so much, David. Thank you.